Hi, my name is Michael Lefebvre. Welcome to my podcast, The Bible is Beautiful. This is the third and final episode in my series on Jesus' Beatitudes. In the first episode, we looked at what a beatitude is. In the second episode, we looked at the circumstances that, according to Jesus, bring happiness. But Jesus listed some puzzling markers of happiness, like poverty, grieving, and injustice. Those are not reasons for happiness. If Jesus gave no explanation why those hardships are reasons for happiness, we would be confused. But Jesus does give reasons. Each of his Beatitudes has two parts. The Beatitude itself, which states the circumstance that brings happiness. That is the part we looked at last time. And then there is the second part. Each Beatitude is capped off with an explanation, a reason why such hardships can be the cause for joy. In this episode, I want to look at those reason statements. Jesus' Beatitudes might be likened to a coach who addresses the pain of his athletes at training camp. The coach says to his athletes, Happy are you when your muscles ache. Happy are you when your calves burn and your biceps scream. What is that coach saying? No one likes pain, and normally pain is a bad sign. However, there are certain circumstances, such as athletic training, when certain kinds of pain are not only expected, but are themselves marks of happy progress. Jesus' Beatitudes are comparable to that coach's encouragements. The hardships Jesus lists in his Beatitudes are only causes for happiness to the extent that they demonstrate a disciple's adherence to heaven's beauty and that the disciple is out of sync with the world's ideals. But when a disciple does find him or herself so identified with the goodness of heaven's culture that he or she is marginalized and suffers in the corruption of the world, that suffering, like an athlete's ache, is painful but reason for joy. You see, Jesus is not promoting the hardships he lists, as though poverty and injustice are always causes for happiness. And he is certainly not calling us to seek out weeping or positional meekness. But for those who are pursuing the grand vision of his kingdom, the experience of hardships as part of that pursuit become signs of progress and thus reasons for joy. It is in the reason statements Jesus piles together one by one at the end of each beatitude that this grand vision is set before us. Let me read the Beatitudes in full so we have them fresh in our minds. And as I read them, notice in particular the reason statement Jesus adds to each. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Each of Jesus' Beatitudes is capped with a reason. That is unusual. Normal Beatitudes do not need reason statements. Normally, a Beatitude's reason for joy is self-evident. Recall the Greek Beatitudes I cited in the first episode. Blessed is the mother with strong sons. Blessed is the man who finds an excellent bride. No explanation is required for such Beatitudes. They simply make sense. But Jesus' Beatitudes do not make sense until we receive his reason statements. The reason statements are the real focus of the Beatitudes. The purpose for these Beatitudes is to help disciples see past their present suffering and to see the happy vision of the righteous kingdom Jesus embodies and teaches them. The reason statements at the end of each Beatitude are like the punchline of a proverb or the solution at the end of a riddle. This is the whole point of the Beatitudes. Of those reason statements, the first and the last are the most important. The two framing reasons at the beginning and at the end establish the context for all the rest. They are like two bookends that hold up everything between them. Here again is the first. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here again is its opposite at the end. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The whole series is framed by that repeated statement, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reason for a disciple's joy, even if its pursuit entails pain along the way, is that the disciple's citizenship is in the society of Jesus. The declaration, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is a statement of identity. Being a citizen of heaven, even while inhabiting the societies of the world, is the fundamental reason to take heart. When suffering arises because the disciple is aligned with heaven's order and not with the world's order, that suffering becomes a reason for happiness. That reason statement is also the only one in the present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The other reason statements are future promises, such as they shall be comforted or they shall see God. Membership in Jesus' community is a present reality for the disciples, and that present reality is the one that gives confidence to expect the future relief captured in the other lines. Citizenship in Jesus' kingdom does not end all suffering now, but present citizenship gives such confidence of future relief one can draw upon that hope today. The future promises begin with the second beatitude. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Every grief one suffers in the life of righteousness will one day be resolved in comfort. In the third beatitude, Jesus promises, Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, or they shall inherit the land. 
This statement draws upon the Old Testament promises of a heritage in the land. Jesus was talking at the time to Jewish disciples who were living in the land of promise, but with no rights to it. They were positionally meek in their own land, living under Roman occupation. But under Jesus' crown, present positional meekness in the land would one day be eclipsed with the fulfillment of the promised heritage. In the fourth beatitude, Jesus further promises, Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Injustice may flourish unchecked today, but God is keeping account. One day the court of heaven will begin session, review all cases, and vindicate every injustice in this world. That hunger and thirst for justice will be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, Jesus continues, for they shall receive mercy. Disciples can abandon their own painful offenses from others with peace, whatever the cost, if the anticipation of heaven's mercy is already sounding in their ears. And Jesus concludes his promises with these. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. These final two promises crown the whole list. To see God is to approach his presence and to be accepted. In the ancient world, to see the king's face meant to be welcomed in the ruler's favor. To see God is not about eyesight, but about acceptance in his presence. Then Jesus builds upon that hope of acceptance with the further assurance, they shall be called children of God. This ups the ante. Even more than the favorable reception of a servant, disciples anticipate the loving reception of their father. Earlier I used the illustration of an athletic coach. Let me offer another illustration to capture what these Beatitudes are doing. Consider a prisoner of war who is presently confined in an enemy prison camp. His or her conditions are miserable, and there's no denying the hardship of those conditions. But that prisoner of war draws encouragement by thinking about home. Thoughts of home demonstrate that the camp is not the soldier's true community. And since the soldier is suffering in this camp, because he or she has been faithful to that home, the soldier anticipates an honored welcome upon return. That present identity and future hope gives hope to persevere, and that with joy in spite of real present suffering. In fact, joy, not moral improvement, but joy in the midst of suffering is the stated purpose of these Beatitudes. The passage ends with one command. There's only one command in this passage, and we hear it there at the end. Jesus concludes the Beatitudes with this instruction. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. These Beatitudes exist to help us persevere as agents of Jesus' goodness in a world where the wicked prosper and the good often do not, and to do so in joy. 
such beatitudes must have brought great encouragement to the followers of Jesus living in the first century. The New Testament disciples faced severe persecution. Not every disciple will live in a time of persecution as they did. But the fact that Jesus gave disciples in those circumstances words of beatitude to sustain them leaves those of us in softer times with no excuse. In fact, when we as disciples today do find ourselves enjoying the good things of the society in which we live, the Beatitudes call us to examine our hearts carefully. To what extent are we sharing in the world's happiness because times really are good? Or are we sharing in the world's happiness because we have bought into the world's Beatitudes? Jesus' Beatitudes are not only for disciples facing persecution. Indeed, it might be said that they are especially important for disciples who are not facing persecution. Maybe his Beatitudes are especially important for disciples who freely participate in their society and are prone to adopt that society's reasons for happiness. For example, money is hands down preeminent among the idols of our day. Western culture, and especially America, has mastered the production of wealth like no other society in history, and we are taught to seek happiness by seeking wealth. Happy are the rich is one of the inviolable beatitudes of American culture. How should disciples respond? We have not always responded well. We may disparage the embarrassing extremes of certain prosperity preachers on TV. But do we not harbor the same deep conviction that more money would make us more happy? Have we accepted the American beatitude, happy are the rich? Jesus' first beatitude confronts our yearning for wealth. Jesus' first beatitude declares, happy even are the impoverished for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice, Jesus' declaration does not deny that wealth brings happiness in the present world order. In fact, his beatitude presupposes that human society does experience happiness through wealth, and the absence of money definitely will leave a person soul-crushingly poor. Jesus does not deny the accuracy of the cultural pursuit of happiness through money. In fact, he affirms its effectiveness. You would likely attain to a happy place in this society if you play along with and finally master their wealth-idolizing ways. But a disciple's joy is fixed upon the goodness we learn from another society. Happy are disciples who are progressing in their heaven-like goodness, even when that progress leads to economic losses in the present society. Jesus' first beatitude speaks to Americans as much as first-century Christians under Rome. He teaches us that even poverty is worth it when your heart is set on the ways of Christ's kingdom. Consider another current example. Another beatitude of the world around us might be expressed. Happy are those with political power. 
Our society esteems political influence as a means to attain happiness for one's interest group. If your group will have a happy place in society, political power is the way to secure it. And that, too, is actually accurate. The way America functions, political power is an important way to lobby for and secure a group's ideals. But Jesus' third beatitude declares, Happy are the meek. Happy are those who lack social power on account of their righteousness. As the culture around us continues in its corruption and as society's ways stray farther and farther from righteousness, are we, disciples of Jesus, ready to be happy as the marginalized ones? Or do we feel compelled to grasp after political power in order to secure our ideals through political means? The New Testament church never made political power a major tenet of their efforts to promote kingdom righteousness. The New Testament church shows us that there are other, even more effective ways to be salt and light rather than politics. The agenda of the so-called religious right in America may have been politically effective in many ways. It is true It is an American beatitude that works in this society, that happy are the politically powerful. But at what cost to our witness to the grace and love of Christ? Today, many evangelical leaders are affirming the need for deep soul-searching in the American church over the relationship we have fostered between evangelicalism and politics. Jesus' third beatitude is extremely relevant for this moment in the church today. Jesus declares, blessed are the meek. What I want to illustrate by these two examples, the love of wealth and the pursuit of political power, is that the Beatitudes do speak, and that profoundly, to disciples today, just as it did to disciples of the New Testament times. And they speak to us with messages much more powerful than presumed by the moral exhortation view. The Beatitudes are not given to teach moral virtues. Rather, they inspire the delight of heaven in our souls to strengthen our joy in its pursuit. In fact, you could actually read Jesus' Beatitudes as autobiographical. In them, Jesus is calling us to understand and participate in his own heart of joy through suffering. Jesus was born into soul-crushing poverty. As an infant, his bed was an animal trough, and things never improved. Jesus grieved through a life of much pain. Jesus wept. Jesus was positionally meek, having taken on the form of a servant and suffering among the lowest in an oppressed people group. Jesus experienced injustices so great all through his life that at the culmination of those injustices, he literally sweat blood. Jesus extended sacrificial mercy, walked in transparent integrity, and made peace with others all at great cost to himself. Jesus suffered persecution of all kinds, and yet he was happy 
The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured suffering and shame for the joy that was set before him. Jesus was happy. And in these Beatitudes, Jesus is teaching us his own perspective to give us that same joy. And that is what makes the Beatitudes beautiful. I hope that you have gotten a glimpse of that beauty as we have studied the Beatitudes together in this series. And I hope that you will personalize that beauty to sustain your own joy and to persevere in the goodness we are taught by Jesus.